At this moment, our children are dismissed to their classes. If you would open your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Hmm. Hmm. I love hearing kids say amen. That was good, right? Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Ooh. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, I am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? As do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to, or who have, who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do, if for, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have, an, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Father, we are grateful for your word, your truth that sets us free and aligns us to your will and your heart. And this morning, I thank you so much for the beautiful, beautiful reminder, Lord, of what your blood has done for us. I stand in awe of you this morning, Lord God, and I pray that you would speak to us, your servants, your sons, your daughters that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church, that you would use these next few moments to equip us better to honor you more fully in our lives. 
Lord, I pray against every distraction of mind in this room, every distraction of mind and heart online. I pray that we would be captivated by you and your truth, and more than anything, that we would be disciplined to focus in on what is being communicated this morning. We pray that you be glorified, and we ask you all these things in Jesus' strong name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, uh, you can raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to bring you an outline. So just keep your hand up so that way they'll see you. They'll bring you an outline. Want to be sure that you're able to follow along in the introduction. Want to be sure that you're able to take some notes. And uh, we pray that these uh, notes don't just stay with you this morning, but that they will go home with you and that you will utilize them to grow throughout the week, uh, meditating on the truth that you heard today. And as always, I challenge you, uh, this is a way that we equip you, right? This is a way that we put something in your hand so that way you can actually utilize it for God's glory and you can take it and sit down with someone and say, hey, when they ask you, hey, what did you, uh, you know, what did you do this weekend? You could say, what are you doing for lunch? Let me tell you what I did this weekend. Let me, let me share with you what I did this weekend in part, right? I, you know, I have something to share. So, hey, we give you an opportunity or, you know, something that you can utilize as a tool to help someone else grow in their faith. And so this morning you should have the outline. If you look at your outline there, last week as we, as I ended the sermon, I always close with some kind of question and at the end of each sermon. And last week you were left with the question, is there anything you need to let go of to be a better brother's keeper? Is there anything you need to let go of to be a better Brothers keeper. The apostle Paul introduces us to this conversation about, or the, or the question about eating foods that are sacrificed to idols. And at the end of the message, I asked the question, is there anything that you need to do? Is there anything that you need to let go of that you would be a better brother's keeper? I don't know about you, but I know that when I go go away from a sermon that's challenging in that sense, throughout the week, I become more cognizant. I become more conscious of things that I'm doing that could be of a negative effect to my brothers and my sisters or to even those that I'm trying to witness to. I, I think about things that I could maybe change. And so I hope that you do the same thing. Again, I hope you don't just walk away from Sunday and then by Monday you've forgotten everything that I've communicated. That wouldn't be cool. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Amen. By your laughter, I think you forget about me, but it's all right. I don't forget about you. And I, I think about you. So anyway, with this in mind, with this in mind, we enter the second part of the Apostle Paul's answer to the question of eating food sacrificed to idols, right? I, I told you I like the Apostle Paul because he is, he's a guy after my own heart. Maybe I'm a guy that's after his own heart. He loves run-on sentences. I love run-on sentences. He likes long answers. I like long answers. And so, you know, we get in it together, and he's using three chapters to communicate to you to answer this question about things that have been sacrificed to idols. So he enters in. And if you read chapter 9 by itself, even when you read chapter 9 in its, con like in its context, it's still kind of weird. It's like, what happened? Why, why did he jump into this? And it doesn't make sense because you read chapter 8 and you read chapter 10 and it's like, okay, those seem to go together. Maybe, you know, he had a moment of like schizophrenia in the middle of the inspiration and he just decided to go down this rabbit hole and talk about him being an apostle and all this other kind of stuff. But that's not the truth. The truth is he is utilizing this to build his argument as to why, and just with me for a moment, because you're there, just look back up really quickly, and I, I want you to see uh, verse 13, and ver look at verse 13, chapter 8. He says this, he says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Am I not an apostle? See, in our, in our Bibles, we have these separations. That wasn't there in the original text. 
And so he's going from this, he, he's continuing his thought. He's just shifting gears on his argument. And now he's trying to help us to understand some things about his way of thinking and, and an understanding that he is not Lord, but Christ is Lord. We'll dig into that in a moment. But here's something that I want you to realize. This is in your outline there. One of the significant issues with church folks today is their lives are still their own. Amen. Everybody said amen to that. One of, one, one of the great issues, one of the, the great issues that we have within the church today is that your life still belongs to you. When we, when we sing about the blood, you know, you know what the blood was, right? The blood was a purchase, hallelujah. The blood was a payment for your life. You are no longer your own. I am no longer my own, but we don't live like that. I was brought back to that moment when, when Jesus came into my life in a tangible and real way, sitting next to my mother as she read the word of God to me and I wept. And, and then she ministered to me prophetically and spoke things to me that only God knew and then led me to the Lord. I was brought back to that moment. And I remember after that moment, walking away from there. And man, I didn't have a doctrine to, to back this up. I just knew something happened and my life wasn't mine anymore. And God continued to affirm that. But you know what happened as I grew in maturity? I started to think my life was mine again. And then I, and I struggled to relinquish. So, so, so listen, I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger, right? You know, when I point this finger, there's fingers pointing back at me. Are you here? I struggled just like anyone else with this reality that my life is not mine. <clears throat> my life doesn't belong to me. See, see, the thing is this, we still control our schedules and our money is still ours. Ooh, we're going to get into it today, aren't we? Welcome home. It's still mine. It's, it's my money, right? It's my schedule, you know? I, I mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but, I mean, you know, for some people, they have the family calendar, right? right? Like, 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 you know, I, I submit to the family calendar. Well, let me ask you a question. Who is your family calendar submitted to? I'm just saying, like, you got family plans, but has your family prayed about what's on that calendar? Has, has your family consulted with the Almighty, the one who gave you life and breath, the one who's providing for everything you do? Have you consulted with him and said, Lord, this, cal this family calendar, what we do in this year, the things we're going to participate in, the things that we're going to enjoy, Lord, do you authorize those things? I know that's too spiritual for some of us. <laughs> I, I, Pastor, I was talking about vacation. Some of y'all were like, yeah, the, uh, next week, let's go. We're, we're out of here. Where are we going, right? <laughs> he, was, he, he was saying, you know, vacation is good. No, some of like, vacation is great. I can't wait to be on vacation. Some of y'all waiting for that day when you take that, that ultimate vacation, right, where you clock out for the last time, right? Where, where hey, you see that? See, I'm, that, that, that moved somebody's spirit. They was like, yes, hallelujah. <laughs> But our lives are not our own. Who's, who, 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 who's the calendar submitted to? Who's the money submitted to? Who, who, who is it that, that we are, are surrendering ourselves to? See, the problem is we haven't relinquished our lives to the Lordship of Christ. We haven't relinquished, we, we haven't said, Lord, you are Lord, I am not. Remember we talked about, we were talking about idolatry. Remember, y'all got to remember now, these messages are going to be heavy because we're dealing with something we all struggle with, idolatry. I think Tim, 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 Tim Keller, a great pastor in New York, he said that our hearts are idol-making factories. 
We're always creating something to worship. Whatever, we get obsessed with stuff and, and I'm gonna worship that thing, man. Listen, it can be whatever it is and we become, we become overly obsessed with that thing. You always gotta check ourselves. Constantly repenting, constantly humbling ourselves before the Lord, constantly pursuing God for his grace so that way we can live for his glory. So here's the thing, when, when you have a problem because you haven't submitted to the Lordship of Christ, the message of sacrificial living for Jesus, much less for our brothers, that's what we talked about last week, right? Not eating the food sacrificed to idols, not participating in certain activities because those things could offend somebody. Those things could call. And when I say offend, I don't mean like you bothered someone. That's not what I'm talking about. Because because you you can offend people by the style of music you like, right? Like I, you know, just whatever. You know, you could you could offend people because of the cologne you use, right? You know, when we when when, when my wife was pregnant, I had this favorite cologne that I loved. I mean, it was like this the best smelling cologne on planet Earth, right? And, and, and the cologne broke, the bottle broke, and, and I couldn't, I was like, oh my goodness. I grabbed a paper towel, and I was like, well, the only thing I can think of is I'm going to sop this up, and I'm going to put this paper towel in my car. And listen, I was just, I was like, you know, I'm going to put, I, I'm, I'm going to preserve the smell somewhere, right? You heard what I said, my wife was pregnant, right? Any of you ladies have like that pregnancy smell when you were pregnant? Like you could smell things like miles. My wife was sitting in a car saturated in cologne, glory to God. You know what she doesn't like anymore? That cologne, hello. The thing is, we, 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 can, we, we can over participate in things. We can overindulge in things. We can offend people, right? That, 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 that offense that was there, like your cologne could offend somebody. That's not the offense I'm talking about. The offense I'm talking about is when you cause someone to sin. If your freedom causes someone to sin, you got, you got issues with the Lord. As he said, it'll be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck than for you to put a stumbling block before one of these children. So our lives, again, are not our own, but we don't live that way. I'm just going to live in my freedom because I'm free. And we talked about the, the, the stronger conscience, the weaker conscience last week. We addressed that. But, but the truth is this. We talk about sacrificial living. I'm going to live sacrificial for Jesus, man. I'm not living sacrificial for him. Much less am I going to bend my will and relinquish my rights for you? Nah, you just got to get over it. I'll just hide it. I'll do it in secret <laughs> so you don't see it or whatever the case is. Instead of me just really laying my life down. And so in, in, in our context, you know, this is foreign and even frowned upon in some ways. But, you know, I love you enough to tell you that we can't live like that. I love you enough to tell you that we can't live our lives for ourselves. We have to live our lives for God's glory. We cannot allow ourselves to be consumed by the idols of our hearts, whatever they are, whatever it is that, that, that you're defending and you're protecting and, 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 and it's not God. Whatever it is that is getting your attention and your time, whatever it is that's consuming you, that's not God. Whatever that thing is, you can't bow down to that thing. Because that thing is pulling you away from the Lord, and I hope that you will recognize that. The truth is this, and this is what I want you to think about this morning. If you want to ensure you dethrone every idol in your life, you need to purpose to live gospel-centered. 
If you want to want a purpose to dethrone and ensure that there's nothing else and no one else on the throne of your life, on the throne of your heart, if you want to dethrone every idol in your life, purpose to live gospel-centered. That's what I want to talk about today, gospel-centered living. Purpose in your life to say, man, I'm going to live this gospel the, 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 the life I live is going to be gospel-centered. That's like a, a buzzword in Christian circles. In some churches, we're a gospel-centered church. What does that mean? It means a lot of things in different places. But to live a gospel-centered life, it means to live a life that is fully given to Christ. To live a life that every decision I make is fully surrendered to Christ. To live a life that everything that I do is fully given to the purposes of Christ. To live gospel-centered, that is what we want to be sure that we do. We want to live gospel-centered lives. The way I deal with people is a reflection of my relationship with God, of my commitment to the gospel. That's what Paul is all about. Remember earlier on in chapter, in, in, in the beginning of this, uh, of this, this book, the apostle Paul tells us that he purposed to do what? To know nothing to, among them but Christ and Christ crucified. He didn't come to them with the wisdom of men, did he? He did not. He didn't come to them doing things the way that he came to them with a demonstration of the power and spirit for what? So that way their faith would be in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. That's what Paul purposed in chapter two. He, tell, he reminds us of this, and this is all he's doing throughout this. He's showing you, this is what it looks like to know Christ and Christ crucified among people. This, this, this is what it looks like. So the first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the gospel should, the gospel should assure us assure of our rights as the redeemed children of God. The gospel should assure us of our rights as the redeemed children of God. And so the Apostle Paul, he is communicating here again, starting in chapter 9 and verse 1, and he is sharing about his rights. That's his point in him transitioning this way. He's saying, I just told you to relinquish your rights. I just told you that you shouldn't be overly concerned with your rights and what it is that you are entitled to. And I'm telling you that you should not eat food sacrificed to idols if your brother's conscience is offended by that. He just gave them that and he's telling them, listen, if it's going to offend my brother, if it's going to cause them to sin, then I'm not going to do it. But then he goes on to talk about, but let me show you what I've done. I'm not just asking you to do something. I want to show you what it is that I have done. So here's what happens. When we come to Christ, when we come to faith in Christ, what happens? We, talk, we, we talked about it earlier while we were singing. I told you sitting down there with my mom, Jesus brings me into his kingdom, brings me into a relationship with him. I am transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Are you here? That's what happens to us, right? When we come to Christ, when we bow our hearts to him, we are transferred from one kingdom into another. We are transferred from one family into another. We now have rights to things that we didn't have rights to before. As Minister Hector read to us this morning in chapter 55 of the book of Isaiah, who is he speaking to? He is speaking to the children of Israel. He is speaking to those who are the covenant children of God, and he is telling them, he's giving them this invitation. Obviously, anyone can come, but they're not just going to come and experience this unless they bow to him. Unless they humble themselves, unless they enter into this covenant relationship that God is offering them, he's not just offering them a meal. Come on now. He is offering them a covenant relationship that changes their identity, that changes who we are. That's what the gospel is, is it not? That, that's what the gospel is. 
The gospel that we preach every week that I determined to help you to look at every, every week. I want us to look at it freshly. We looked at it in the songs that we sang, but we were separated from God. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you are still separated from him. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you were separated from God. You were in despair. Your sin separated you from him. Our sin separates us from God. Nothing that we do is ever going to bring us into a right relationship with God. We are, we, we're desperate, alone, separated from God, on our way to eternal destruction. But what does God do? Jesus comes and dies in our place. Jesus comes and sheds holy blood in our place so he can do what? So he can rescue us from our despair, so he can take us from that side of the chasm and bring us to this side of the chasm, and he can bring us into relationship with himself. That's what he does for us. And when he does that, he this is the beauty I don't, and I, I can't explain this because this is something supernatural. This is something that I would even call almost mystical in the way that it happens. Not meaning like I'm a mystic. Come on now. But meaning that it's something that I can't fully grasp. But what I know is this is when God grabs you from this side of the chasm on, on the way from here to here, he transforms your life. He does something in your heart. He brings freedom and transformation. He doesn't just give you a new name. He gives you a new heart. Hello. This is the power of the gospel that we believe. He rescued us, and then he gives us this new name. He calls us sons and daughters. He brings us into a relationship, and he gives us rights and access to certain things. But here's the other thing. There were things you needed over here that you don't need over here. There are things that you were depending on over here that you're not depending on over here. And the problem is we go back and forth in our dependence. Our dependence should be where? 100% on the Lord over here. Our hope should be in him over here always. So that's what, that's what our mind and our heart should be. So the apostle Paul, again, he is sharing the, the rights that he has. So in these first 14 verses, we're going to go through this relatively quickly. He goes through some things. So look at verse one with me really quick. He says, I, am I not an apostle? So he's talking about his, his rights as an apostle. And then he says, am I not free? Free from what? Free from sin, not free to sin. The problem is we hear the word I'm free and we just think, hey, I'm free to do whatever I want. No, no, no. You have been freed from sin to now live free from sin and not live in sin. Are you here? So he's free. Now, he's free to do things like eat the food sacrificed to idols. He could do that in this context and it's not going to affect his relationship with God. But nonetheless, he's pointing out I'm free. I have certain freedoms that are there. He says, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? That was one of the requirements for the apostles. So um, I'll just say this for those that call themselves apostles today. If they haven't seen Jesus Christ, they're missing a qualification. Just throw that out there. I just, I just want to throw that out there because I think that that's an important, uh, an, an important qualification to have if you're going to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, he says, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are, are you not my work in the Lord? So he's saying there's proof to my apostleship. Verse two, if I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And so again, he's pointing out that he is an apostle. There's proof to his apostleship. And then verse three, he gets on. He says, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Again, we're going in the context of what he just said. Verse five, do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas or Peter? 
So he has a right to eat and drink. He has a right to be married. This is what he's saying here. These other people, I mean, these are his rights. These are the things that he can do as a follower of Jesus. He's pointing out the rights that he has. And he says in verse six, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? So everybody else that he's mentioned, they are apostles. They are taken care of by the church. But Paul and Barnabas are still making tents wherever they go. They're still working to support themselves. And so Paul breaks it down. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. In these 14 verses, he establishes his rights and he focuses in specifically, you'll see on this one that he last mentions, which is the one about him receiving financial support for the work of the gospel. So his apostleship gives him these rights. He's got freedom. He can eat whatever he wants. Verse uh, um, verse five tells him he has a right to be married. And verse six says he has a right to live from the gospel. You can write this down. Acts chapter 6, there was a dispute that rose up because there was one a part of the widows in the church that were receiving more than another part of the, of the widows in the church. At that time, the church was taking care of the widows as they should. There wasn't retirement plans and all that kind of stuff that a lot of folks have today. Nonetheless, this situation here got really ugly. The people started debating as the church was growing. They come to the apostles. They're like, yo, you know, the, the, the these, these widows over, or these widows over here, they're not getting as much as these. There's favoritism happening happening, what do they do? They say, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go ahead and we're going to sit down and we're going to serve tables. That's what they said, right? No, that's not what they said. They said, pick among you, right? Seven men who are full of wisdom and character and, 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 and appoint them to this work so we can give ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. That wasn't being prideful. That was simply saying, hey, our priority has to be to minister God's word and to be in prayer. And that's the thing that we should be focused on. And so we'll get other people who can do this other service. And that way the church is blessed. And then they did that. And guess what happened? The church continued to grow. Because people were put in the right position. So Paul gives this argument. Uh, he starts this argument about the, the, the financial side of his support. Now, he, he makes a big deal about this. Verse 7. Look at verse 7. He says, who, who, whoever goes to war at his own expense. Most people in our context today, they go to the military because they're broke. Hello. <laughs> if, if you had to go to the military and pay your own way, I assure you the military would be much smaller. Just keeping it 100 with you now, right? I think it's an honor to serve. I think it's an honor to be, you know, to be part of, you know, serving your country. I think that that's a great thing. But the fact is many people, they go because they don't have resources and they're like, hey, this is a good source of stability. It was same thing back then. You, you went into the military. You were part, guess what? You were going to be taken care of. You were going to experience that. You were, you weren't going to have to worry about where you were going to live. You weren't going to have to worry about where, what you were going to eat. You weren't going to have to worry about your needs because you committed to being part of the military then. So he says, if someone goes off to war, does he do it at his own expense? He says, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? And so again, someone who is planting, right? They plant a vineyard. They're not just going to plant it and never partake of it. This, 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 is, this is what happens in human experience, right? He goes on and he says, um, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? So he gives this example again. He's giving these examples. He's, he's, he's helping them to understand. First of all, as an apostle, I have certain rights, and, and, and these rights are affirmed by human experience. The things that we see in humanity, oh, well, let's go on because you might not be impressed with the humanity stuff. So he knew that you would be listening to this message. So he goes on to further encourage you in this. Verse 8, he says, do I say these things, or do, do, do I say these things as a mere man? 
In other words, am I making this argument just because of my own will? Am I making this argument just because I feel some kind of way? No, no, he's not. He's saying, no, I don't do that. He said, or does not the law say the same thing? Verse nine, he says, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And he asked this question, is it oxen God is concerned about? So, you know, you guys have seen the, the movies where there's like a, a, a donkey or something like that on, on this circle thing, right? And they're walking around in a circle and you're like, why are they, do- I, don't, I don't know why they're doing that until I was studying this. They're doing that because they're treading the grain. And think about how inhumane it would be to put a muzzle on the donkey while they're treading the grain. Well, that would, that would be terrible. The donkey's over here walking around. The grain is, they could just reach down and eat a little bit, keep doing what they're doing for you. They're not going to eat all of it. They're going to eat some of it, right? So God uses this as an example to say, hey, don't abuse your animals. But, but Paul says, was he saying this for oxen? He goes on in verse 10. He said, or does he say it all together for our sakes? So he says, for our sake, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope. Verse 11, look at verse 11. He says, if we have sown spiritual things to you or for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? I know we're talking about money and it gets real sensitive. Where's Bishop going with this? I'm just going where the scriptures lead. That's it. I'm not going to go any further. Paul is saying, hey, guys. When he talks about the oxen, this is the, this is the Old Testament law that, that is written for us. This is the Old Testament law that is written there, and it's written there for our benefit. It's written there to show us some things in the application. This, this again, is the Apostle Paul that is saying these things. He's saying the application here is that we have, and, and he gives it clearly in verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things to you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? He says in verse 12, he says, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. And so again, the Old Testament law affirmed that the worker has a right to wages. You can write this down again if you're taking notes. Romans chapter 15, it speaks about the, the Gentile church giving an offering for the Jewish side of the church. And he says, hey, they have benefited from the spiritual blessings of the Jewish people. They should want to bless them over there. Galatians chapter 6, the apostle Paul, he speaks there again. And both of these, he's talking in all three of these uh, uh, texts here that I mentioned, he is sharing that the, the same principle that he shares here, that if you are receiving spiritual benefit, that you should be a blessing on the material things. That, that, that's what the Apostle Paul is communicating. He goes on in verse 13. Verse 13 says, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the temple. So you've got, so far, this is the third one, the Old Testament practice. The Old Testament practice, which is under the Old Testament law, was what? It was that the, 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 the ministers of the altar and the holy things, they were able to partake. Why does Paul bring this up? Now, now this brings up a good question, right? So here's where we're going to get into it. Hallelujah. Remember, they did not have the New Testament. Y'all know that, right? 
They didn't have the Bible like we have it written out for us. What they had was the Old Testament law that Paul would have expounded and exhorted them on, correct? That, that's what he would have done. That's what he is actually doing right here. And notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't go into this like full-on deep teaching on tithing. You know what he does? He mentions this to them and says, this is something that is happening in the Old Testament, and we need to look at this principle and apply the same principle today. This, this is what Paul is talking about. He's making an argument. Now, again, he's not giving you this whole teaching. Remember what I said? He's talking about his rights. I bring this up as an aside because I don't really talk about tithing very, very often in this church. A few, a few months ago, you know, some big preacher got up and said that tithing was not for today, and he went on this whole spiel. I was disappointed in him, though, because he's written so much stuff and given so many teachings on tithing, and instead of him getting up there and saying, hey, I repent of my false teaching on tithing, and everybody who's ever bought something from me, if you return it, I'm going to return your money. I was disappointed because I think that that's real repentance. After tons and tons of years that you preached and taught and benefited from all of these things, you've got, you've, you've accumulated millions, not just thousands, millions, y'all. And you're going to get up there before your church because you're about ready to retire. You know what I'm saying? And you're going to say, hey, guys, I got a revelation. Really? You got a revelation? <laughs> now, see, now, now, now here's, here, here, here's where I land on all of this. Is that everybody goes back and they're like, well, no, it's, it's under the old covenant, right? And then, and then they go to Melchizedek and they're like, well, you know, well, well, well that, that's it. Wait a second. What about Jacob? Did y'all forget about Jacob? You remember Jacob? I think it's chapter 28 in the book of Genesis. He's like going, he's, he's getting ready to go. And he's like, Lord, if you bless me, I'll give you 10% of everything that I have. Did we forget about Jacob? I think we forgot about Jacob. Because it's like just a verse that's just there, and you can just skip past it so easily. So what am I saying? Now, here, here's what I don't want you to do. I'm not, I'm not going to go and just jam you up with Malachi chapter 3. I ain't going to do that to y'all. Because that, that right there, I'm going to tell you this. Y'all ain't going to like this. You might like this. I may free you right now. I think that that is an Old Testament principle there. That is an Old Testament curse. Are you here? Oh, come on. Y'all got to listen now. I think that that is an Old I, I, I don't think that that is binding on me today. But I think when I read Paul's words, you know what Paul is saying? He's saying, hey, man, the same way that the Old Testament guys were ministers of the altar and of the sacred things and they were taken care of, how did we do it then? They would have asked that question in Bible study. Well, Paul, is, are we supposed to do that today? See, we don't have that conversation here. But what we have is that we see that Paul mentions this and he doesn't say, hey, that's done away with. That isn't what he says. He doesn't say we just forget about that. In other words, that's a principle that we should apply. So to all of my friends, do we believe in tithing? Yes, we believe in tithing. Yes, we believe. And here's what I believe. I believe 10% is a great place to start. Come on, y'all could have said amen better than that. Come on, get excited about giving glory to God. <sighs> we get, listen, we have the opportunity to worship God. But am I going to beat you over the head? Oh, you! I'm going to go check you real quick. I, I had a, I forget. It was we were having a conversation about tithing, and they said in an old school church they used to get up in front and be like, you know, brother so and so gave this much this year. Brother so and so gave this much. That's crazy stuff. Well, you know, brother Sam, it doesn't look like you've been tithing correctly. We're going to have to. I'm just, <laughs> I love you, man. But I mean, just imagine sitting in a service like that, like, oh my goodness. I'd be like, I got to go to the bathroom, right? Like, I, like, man, did a babe, babe, be like, babe, did you give our tide check? You know, I mean, <laughs> have you been faithful, woman? Right? I mean, you know, it's just someone get up here. The woman, it's this woman. It's not, it's not me, y'all. I want to be faithful. She wants to shop, right? Like, I don't know. What, I mean, 
I had to lighten the mood because y'all were like getting like depressed right now talking about, it's like, talk about giving like, oh my goodness, inflation. And now you want me to give. <laughs> See here, here, and, and we'll get to 2 Corinthians, but, but the New Testament, the New Testament is this. This is what the New Testament says. The New Testament says that you reap how you sow. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. I think there's a reason why God doesn't put a percentage on the New Testament, because it's a heart issue. Listen, if you're just mad, like, I got a tithe. I'm not going to tell you to keep your money. I'm, give your money. Give it mad, sad, glad, whatever. That's your heart issue. Listen, we, we got things to do, glory to God. I'm not going to get up here and be keep your, keep your nasty. Go, go on and give it with attitude. That's your problem. You're the one. You're the one who doesn't get the blessing. <laughs> I got to get 10 bishops at 10%. All of a sudden, I got to change my, got to change your budget, whatever. Can't get your nails done every time you want. I know, ladies. I know I just stepped in it. I know, I know. See, I don't have an issue with hair. I, I just shave my own head, glory to God. <sighs> Hmm. New Testament for us, we see the Old Testament as our example, right? We can't, we can't, me and my brother Danny were having a conversation. For us as new covenant believers, we sometimes forget like the Old Testament doesn't exist. The Old Testament is there for a purpose. As a matter of fact, next week when we get to chapter 10, we're going to deal with some of that Old Testament reasoning that it's there and the purpose that it's there. But again, I want you to see Old Testament is all up in here right now in Paul's argument. He is arguing and he's saying, hey, you know, these things are fact. I have a right because I'm a minister of the holy things to be compensated for my service. That's what the apostle Paul is saying. And he, and, and to me, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, well, if I'm receiving spiritual things, if I'm receiving God's word, then I should be sowing into the kingdom. All right, let's move on. Verse 14. This, this, is last, this is his last part of the argument. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Listen, if you can't convince somebody with the Old Testament and ways of life, go to Jesus. Hello. Jesus' words. What did Jesus say about it? Jesus said these words, so he closes his argument on this by saying, Jesus said those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So what is the principle here? The principle is this, is that if the Old Testament ministers under the law were supported by the people to whom they ministered, should not God's servants who minister under grace also be supported? That's the principle that we have here in the text. So here's what I want you to get, though. Look at verse 12, the second half of that verse. He says, nevertheless, we have not used this right. Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Jump to verse 15. But I have used none of these things. Now, let's, let's pause for a moment because I know that I just gave you the whole full argument on the giving side of things. I want us to stay in the context of what Paul is teaching here. He, is, he has just said, I have a right to marry. 
I have a right to eat and drink whatever I want. I have a right. I'm free of Jews' conscience. I'm free of Gentiles' conscience. I'm free of all of that stuff. He's saying, I have all of these freedoms. I have a right to be compensated. And he says, but yet I have used none of those rights. I just told you in, uh, in, in the beginning of my, of, of my conversation on these things sacrificed to idols. Again, I want you to be in the text here. I don't want you to get caught up and just, you know, we went, we went on a little, on a little detour as we looked at the Old Testament. I don't want you to miss what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I have all of these rights and yet I've relinquished all of them. I've relinquished all of them for the sake of the gospel. He says what? But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so for me. So to me, for, uh, for it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. Paul is like, man, I'd rather die than have y'all pay me. I'd rather, I'd rather die. This, this is what he's saying. I, because he said, look, and, and you, when you read Paul, he, he took, he accepted offerings from other places. But for some reason, in Corinth, he was like, no, no, no. So he, he knew there was something up there that he didn't want to be, be uh, you know, looked at a certain way. So he was like, no, you know, I'm making a decision in Corinth. I'm making a decision that I'm not going to partake of that. I'm not going to let anyone take my boasting. What is my boasting? His boasting wasn't that he was preaching. His, his boasting was that, man, I'm not doing this because y'all are paying me. I'm not doing this for the honorarium. Come on now. He's like, I'm, I'm not doing this because you guys are giving me. No, no, I'm doing this for the glory and for the honor of God. So this is what his argument is. So while the apostle Paul had the right to this financial support, he declined it as, as not to hinder the gospel, that was his heart. He didn't want to hinder the gospel. He didn't want to hinder the preaching of the gospel. Now, I want you to know something. When you read this text and you see Paul's denial, he is, he's not saying that everybody should be like that. That's the, remember, he, he, didn't, he didn't condemn Peter. He didn't condemn the other apostles. He didn't say, oh man, these guys have wives. I don't have a wife, so you, no, that isn't what he said. He was simply pointing, he's making the argument again. Paul is saying, look, I am practicing what I preach. I'm denying myself the rights that I have for the sake of the gospel. Because here's the thing. Remember, he's thinking about the conscience of his brothers and sisters. He wants us to think about the conscience of our brothers and sisters. Are we causing them to sin by our freedoms? Are we causing them to sin by the things we partake in? If we are, we should stop. And that's what Paul is arguing. Remember, we're talking about church function. That's the title of this series, right? We're talking about how the church should function. We should function with the ethic of love like we talked about last week. And Paul is showing you what love really looks like. The second thing I want you to repeat after me is this. Say, the gospel should cause us to live in true freedom. The gospel should cause us to live in true freedom. Verse 19, he says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jew, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, and look what he says in parentheses, I love parentheses also, by the way. <laughs> Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. You know why he points that out? 
Because he's saying, when I'm saying that I'm without law, I'm not saying that I'm out there acting crazy. What I'm saying is, I'm not holding them to my standard of living. You get that? See, you and I have a standard of living. Church, you, you got to understand something. When you come in here on Sundays, right? I tell you guys this when you have the outlines. You, I don't say it every week, but I say it once in a while. This is a tool for you to do what? To go and share your faith with others, right? What, what, what do you think that you are here for on Sunday morning? To just hear me rant? Is that what it's for? I hope not. To just hear me maybe talk about some social issues and things that are going on. To hear me maybe teach the scriptures. To come and sing some songs. Listen, one of the main reasons that you're here on Sunday mornings is to be equipped for what God has called you to do. To be able to go out into this world and realize that you are missionaries in the world in which you live. That wherever God has placed you, that you have a mandate to be a light. And we should be looking at Paul's words and saying, wait a second, is that the way that I think? Am, am I becoming all things to all men that I might save some? So Paul goes on to say, and the law, or, or the law as, as, as was under the law, finishing verse 20, 20 there, that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. If I try to go out there and I try to make people around me who are not Christian act Christian, I've done a disservice to the gospel. I know y'all, listen, I play racquetball with these guys. I used to go into the court by myself playing racquetball. You know, I'm over there hitting the ball. There's these three guys, they always go play together. Same time, I've never, I never went over there and imposed myself upon them. One day they see me out there like, hey man, if you want to play with us, come over here. I'm like, okay, cool, I'll come play with you guys. So I go over there, I play with the guys, and you know, they're guys. And they're guys that are not saved men, right? So unsaved men have a certain vocabulary. Come on now. They're in the gym right in front of the treadmill. So you know what they have? They have wandering eyes as well. These are just facts, right? Now I'm in there with them playing racquetball and I played racquetball with them for like two weeks, at least two weeks without, they, they didn't know anything about me other than I like to play racquetball. That's all they knew. And then and, and one day they, they come and ask me, one of the guys is like, hey, um, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. All of a sudden, they were like, oh, man, watch out the pastor. <laughs> all of a sudden, all their comments about the women on the treadmills, they were like, oh, no, no. Right, because I could see them in the glass. Like, you know, right? I Do you think that any of that stuff offends me? Do you think, oh, my goodness, they're looking. I got to look. No, why? I Listen, I, I have a wife. I'm good. Right? I'm not going to start changing my language because, oh, my goodness, my virgin ears. I can't hear curse words. I, I, it's, it, it just, it, it grieves my spirit. I'm, how am I going to win someone to Christ if I'm so overly sensitive to every, listen, people are in sin. That's how they're going to live. You know what I should do? I should live as holy and righteous as possible. I make sure my language doesn't offend. I make sure my eyes don't, I'm on extra alert. Come on now. I'm making sure that my conversation, I'm, I'm listening to those jokes closely. Because when it ain't funny, it ain't funny. I'm not going to laugh, just go, oh, we cool. I'm no, no, that, that's not funny to me. Right? I don't, I don't find that amusing, right? Listen, if you find it amusing, you need to repent. I'm just saying. Right? But the point is, I'm not trying to change them before they come to Christ. It's like I want to clean the fish before I catch it. 
Does that make sense? It doesn't, how, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I clean up a fish that hasn't even been caught yet? It's impossible. So we allow people to, to we, we become all things to all men. So that way they can experience Christ through us. Verse 22, he says, to the weak, I became as weak. Again, we're talking about weak conscience. So to the one who can't eat the food, sacrifice to idols, I won't eat the food, sacrifice to we'll be veg- We'll be vegetarians. I know. <laughs> I feel you. I'm like, man, thank God I'm not there, right? Like, I mean, if I had to go to the store and be like, was this sacrifice to idols? I can't eat that food, right? Like, no more, whatever. I don't know. Whatever the brand is that you like, like that, you know, it'd be terrible. But Paul is like, listen, if we got to be vegetarians, we're going to be vegetarians. Because I love you. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Church, hear the words of the Apostle Paul. He purposed to become all things to all men. He humbled himself. He made for the sake of the gospel. These words are written for our instruction. So we can hear these words and say, wait a second, I need to become all things to all men as well for the sake of the gospel. We should want to, I love that last part of the verse, so I can partake of it with you. The apostle Paul had already partaken of the gospel. He already had his moment where he felt the washing and cleansing of the blood, right? He already encountered the Lord in a powerful way. So you would think he already experienced the gospel, right? Let me ask you something. Don't raise your hands. But have you ever had the glorious opportunity of leading someone to Christ? Have you ever, have you ever had that conversation where someone had like that blank stare and then all of a sudden it's like lights went on? And you saw that they were getting it, like they were understand. Like, you, you ever had that, that conversation, whether it was in person, on the phone, and someone grasped the gospel? See, if you've experienced that, that's what Paul is saying. I want to I, I I partake of it with you. Listen, he wants to partake of it with all of those who come. We partake of the gospel in a fresh way when someone turns to Christ. See, that, that, that's the joy, that's the excitement that should move our hearts, that we get to partake of this gospel. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the gospel should awaken our appetite for eternal reward. The gospel should awaken our appetite for eternal reward. The apostle Paul closes out this part of the argument. Verse 24, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one? receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So the, the apostle Paul, he was, he was fond of using athletic images and, and use them often in his letters. He, he communicates this because it's something that was familiar to them, right? To the, remember, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he's writing to them and they, they would have been familiar with the Greek Olympic games as well as the Ithmian games that were more local in Corinth. So they knew about this concept of running. And so knowing this, Paul used a metaphor very close to their experience. And what is his ex- exhortation? His exhortation is run that you may obtain it. Run like a winner. The question is, what are we trying to win? 
Are we trying to win man's approval? Because, man, we run hard for that, right? <laughs> Are we trying to win more money, right? I mean, we run hard for that, right? We, we, we run for those promotions. We run for those benefits, whatever. Right? We, we, we move in, in, in that direction. What, what, what are we trying to win? What is it that we are trying to gain? Listen, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you do. I, I know this much. I know, I know that there's some of you are students in this place. I know some of you are students and you work. I know some of you are married. I, I, I know some, man, you, you work hard at certain things. My question is this, are you working as hard at bringing the gospel to the world around you as you do at every other thing you work hard at? you're a salesman and you're, and you're closing deals and all that kind of stuff, you work hard toward those deals, right? How many, how many, how many people have you worked hard toward leading to Christ? You're a student, you study, you want A's and B's, uh, you know, A's, A's, you want A's? <laughs> You'll accept B's, right? But man, as hard as you work, toward those goals, are you working that hard to win someone to Christ? You know, those other students that are around you, those other business people that are around you, you're working hard to, to make sure that your review is good because, man, inflation is killing you. Come on now. And you're like, man, I need a raise. I need like a double raise of what they were thinking about, right? Like you're, you're in it to win it. Paul's, Paul's communication to the church at Corinth is, listen, run as one who wants to obtain the reward. He goes on, verse 25. He says, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They're disciplined in all things. They're self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Those are heavy words. The apostle Paul is concerned with being disqualified. He's, he, he's concerned with, with running in a way that could cause him to be kicked out. See, when you only think about yourself, you're not thinking about the gospel, man, you can be disqualified, right? The other day, we, we, we were at a competition for ROTC and went to this competition. There was all the, all the people that were there. There was one, uh, one, one, one group of, of um, students that were on a team and they didn't have the right uniform on. And I don't know how, I don't even know why, but for, maybe it was for embarrassment purposes, I don't know. But somehow they, they won first place at the event. And then after the event, they took first place from them and said, y'all are disqualified because you weren't in the right uniform. See, the thing is this, I think maybe they were being gracious in the beginning and then some people brought to the attention of those who were making the decision saying, hey, they didn't have the same restrictions everybody else did. They didn't have, they weren't playing by the same rules everybody else was. They were disqualified. And Paul is saying, man, I don't want to run and preach to people and tell them about Christ and then me be disqualified because I didn't, I was living for myself. I was living for my rights. I was living for my life. Everything was still mine. I hadn't really submitted to the Lordship of Christ. 
Hey there, thank you so much for joining us this Sunday. I hope that your time with us was helpful. Hope that your time with us was edifying to you. And I just want to say thank you for all of your support. Thank you for the likes. Thank you for the shares. Thank you for the comments. If you are joining us for the first time online, would you please do us a favor and either email me at bishop at corefaithchurch.org. That is bishop at corefaithchurch.org. So I can thank you for being with us, get to know you a little bit better. Or if you have a prayer request, you can also email me there. Or if you're on Facebook, you can go ahead and you can leave us a message here uh, directly in the comment section, or you can send us an instant message and we'll get that and respond to you as soon as we can. Lastly, I want to say thank you to all of your to all of you for your financial support. And if you would like to contribute to Core Faith financially, there's a simple way to do it. You can give electronically. All you have to do is text Core Faith. That is one word. Core Faith to seven three two five six. That is Core Faith one word to seven three two five six, and then follow the prompts, and you can be a financial supporter of the mission that God has given us. And if you are supporting us financially, I want to say thank you so much. I pray that God will bless you abundantly. God bless you. Hope to see you next week. <laughs>